Hello, everybody. My name is Murat, and today I'm joined with Mohit on another episode of the Husky Hustle, where we interview America's finest when it comes to entrepreneurship and hopefully bring some knowledge to entrepreneurs at the University of Washington and across the world. Today, we have a very special guest, Will Rush, who completed his undergrad in, in business at Santa Clara University and took it one step further by coming to UW to complete his MBA in entrepreneurship. Will is very knowledgeable when it comes to the fintech side of entrepreneurship, having worked for Deloitte as a manager for over eight years and having experience working at Copper Bank Banking, a bank for teens and helping set up their financial success. And now he's working on his very own startup, Stack, a brand new emerging startup that has been mentioned as one of the financial industry's newest disruptors. And its mission is to help lead the next generation of financially literate teenagers. And thank you so much, Will, for being here today. We're so excited to host you. Oh, man, I'm so excited to be here, guys. Thanks. We're at Mohit. Excited to, to chat more. Perfect. Uh, so we always love to ask this first question. We would love to hear more about your entrepreneurship journey and where it all started for you. Yeah, um, <clears throat> man, I think like maybe a, a lot of entrepreneurs, I kind of grew up with um, with non-traditional founder backgrounds. You know, I was definitely not one of those kids like, you know, in their parents' basement, like, you know, hacking into the FBI mainframe or something. I was, um, I, you know, I took a traditional job out of undergrad, um, you know, and I like, I studied finance in undergrad. And so um, it, it took me definitely a little bit of time to even understand that this was like a path for me. And I think that just comes from, you know, like reading too many Steve Jobs books, you know, or, um, and so it really probably only started when I went back to school for a second time. Um, and I got my master's at UW and I was working with a venture group up here in Seattle called, it was called Ignition Partners at the time and is now called Fuse Ventures. Um, and, you know, I mean, there was just, um, you know, a lot of really amazing energy in the sort of like startup ecosystem up here in Seattle, was able to meet a lot of really, really cool founders. And then one of those founders, um, who's one of my favorite mentors to this day was Eddie Berenger, who was the CEO of Copper. Um, and at the time, Eddie was super early trying to stand up Copper's teen bank. And he at the same time, really wanted to add a stock product for under 18 year olds. Um, and I just sort of come from this experience working with a lot of big securities and banking firms for a long time. Um, and so I knew the space really well and I loved his vision. I loved the mission of educating you know, people and getting them involved in investing really early on. Um, and so that was the impetus for, for probably like my real first startup um, experience. And then I learned a lot, um, you know, working with him and working with their team. And then at some point I just said to myself, you're never going to get the zero to one experience if you don't do it yourself, you know? And so, um, I took the plunge 13 months ago, which feels like 10 years ago and yesterday all at the same time. <laughs> um, but it has been by far the most professionally enriching year of my life, um, bar none. So it's been, it's been an awesome journey. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's so true. Like uh this I've heard this so many times with so uh from like so many startup founders that uh startup culture is that the startup world is more uh DIY, do it yourself. Uh you you until you don't get your hands dirty and don't take the risk, it's uh you just won't make it. It's it's so true. It's uh, so true. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like I, I think there is something to it that you really can't do part-time. Um, I think that people get caught up in 
in moonlighting, which, you know, there's nothing against me. I think moonlighting is a great way to just put like one toe in the water, but at some point you have to dive in. Um, and when you dive in and you're not earning any money and you are going for it full force, you discover, I think a hunger in yourself that otherwise just never comes out. Sweet. Yeah. Sounds good. Awesome. So let's talk a bit more about uh, your startup stack. Uh, what what made you start st- stack? I know you have spoken a bit more uh, a bit in your intro, but can you dive a bit deeper? And also, can you talk? Uh, can you talk to us about financial asset management and what is uh, what it really is for the listeners who don't really know the meaning of it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean. I'm sure you guys have followed a lot of like the GameStop stuff for this past, like, you know, 18 months, um, you know, and and Wall Street bets. If you guys have ever plugged into that community, (laughs) there is, I think there was a moment like in the last few years of investing where all of these great fintechs started popping up that gave access to the stock market in a way we had never seen before. And so 10 years, if you wanted to buy Amazon stock, for instance, you had to have $3,500 to buy one share. Um, it was going to cost you an extra 50 bucks in commission fees to buy that one share. You were probably going to have to deal with a pretty, you know, crappy UX UI to actually go do that. Um, you were going to be encumbered with like candlestick charts and all of these kind of complex things that made you feel like you, you know, you weren't sophisticated enough to do it. And now there's really, really great UI UXs that let you buy $5 of Amazon stock and do it in a second. And so I think that in itself is a really powerful thing. But what's happened with that is there really has been a lack of education that's come with it. And so now you have all these people that can approach the market with any dollar value and they can do it really easily and simply, but they don't have the education of, of where to put those dollars and how to get involved. And I think the finance world is cloaked in a lot of false complexity, right? Like we're, we're all given this vision that we need to be hedge fund managers and we need to be like day trading on margin, you know, like some like options portfolio to be making money, which is just not true. Um, and so I, I think the, the mission for Stack was really born out of that actually was, was born out of saying there's 60% of the entire US population that never has a direct relationship with their own investing account. And so those are people that either have like 401k plans or pension plans that they just like kind of passively invest for them, or they have no investment portfolio at all. And so that 60% of people, the question in my mind was always, how do you activate them? And I think there's two layers. One is you activate them early before they're afraid of new things. Um, and so for us, that's about approaching them literally in high school. And then number two is you need to share with them that you need a very low level of education and some really basic education to be pretty dangerous. And you can capture 90% of the returns of the stock market by just doing that. Because the reality is the S&P 500 index outperforms 90% of hedge funds, you know? And so it doesn't take a lot of knowledge to go put all of your money in the S&P 500 and don't look at it for 10 years, you know? And so, um, you know, that was really where Stack was born. And then, you know, the last layer word crypto And the reason that we're in crypto and not stock is just because that's where teenagers are starting. And we ran a bunch of tests and we said, what is the most interesting investing asset out there for teenagers right now? And by far and away it is crypto. And so if we can start with crypto, 
because that's where they're starting. But then we can distill a lot of this really basic financial education and get them started and have them make mistakes, but make mistakes with $10. That is the mission because we're going to create a whole new swath of investors that way. And when they have $1,000 or $10,000, they're just going to be more educated. Got it. Got it. But do you see Stack as being more of a fintech firm or an edtech firm? That's a great question. I think that it's kind of a mix of both. And I think that this is the key, right? The private sector has a huge opportunity to do things that the curriculum system can't. And like you guys probably feel this, right? At UW sometimes. I remember being in class and saying to myself, I, some some classes I loved and were incredibly valuable, but other classes that I was that I felt like I was kind of forced to take, I was like, I'm not really getting that much out of this. Um, and that's because the curriculum system moves almost not at all. And there are some requirements that have existed for literally 100 years. <laughs> Think about how much the world has changed in that 100 years. I mean, computers didn't exist. Nobody was like putting their, you know, cat NFT on the blockchain, <laughs> you know? And so, and the reality of the private sector's involvement in it is that it can keep up with everyday technology and it can educate in a way that curriculum and schools and universities just can't. And so blending fintech and edtech, I think, is really where this marriage exists, because the best way to educate yourself is hands on with real money. Um, and so that's I would I would almost, you know, very, very um, gray area answer. But in reality, I think we're the merging of both. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, that's that sounds perfect. Honestly, uh, uh, like you said, we've, we've noticed so many uh, university curriculum that just lack the current and upcoming uh, futuristic technologies and stuff like that. Just, uh, yeah. yeah, even even in uh, classes when I sit, uh, I'm, I'm like, isn't this like 50 years old? Why are we doing this right now? Yeah, <laughs> it's true. It's true. I think there are so many online resources uh, that, that just give you so much more than what university would ever do. That's that's true. Anyway, yeah. so uh, just just a follow up question: uh, Why should teenagers and high schoolers really care about crypto? Well, they should care about crypto because crypto is the newest and latest technology. Um, and so we've actually been conducting this really interesting study. We we studied actually like probably similar to your parents' age um, group. And there are people that were born between 1975 and 1985. So they're like, you know, 45, 50-ish years old, a lot of them. And what was really interesting about that group of people is they were teenagers or college students during the internet boom. And so what we studied about them was, was there a correlation to how they early adopted the internet and their long-term financial net worth? And what we discovered was if you approach the internet as an early adopter before you were 18 years old, you had a 13 times higher net worth by the time you were 40. Damn. And so that's super powerful, right? I mean, that it makes sense because maybe they got tech jobs or maybe they were the startup founders that made a bunch of money. Um, and the other stat that I think was really, really interesting was people that made over $250,000 a year. So these are like the top earners, right? The 1% that everybody talks about, 98% of them were in the early adopter group. And so if you picture yourself as one of those 1% top earners, you basically have to approach the newest technology and you have to approach it early. And so for us being this mechanism to allow people to approach crypto, to approach web three, the metaverse, 
all of this crazy stuff that really is the internet of our time. That is what we're trying to do. We're just trying to be one of those levers. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Trying to get ahead. Um, but to what extent do you think stack is, uh, influenced by like the crypto market? I mean, there are maybe a lot of, I guess you can say old heads or I guess parents, um, the negative connotations that come with crypto. Oh, it's going to fail the volatility and things like that. Yeah. I mean, um, it's funny because like, you know, I I talk a lot about financial education and everybody says, but you're still a crypto company, right? Like (laughs) you're like, you're basically allowing a, a high schooler to go like buy, you know, crypto like coins. And so I think it actually comes down to what you enable and the decisions that we make at the very top level of our app. And so for instance, we're going to have 10 coins on day one. Um, just by only putting 10 coins on the platform, we could do a lot more coins if we wanted to. It's actually like technologically, it's actually very easy to add more. Um, and we aren't because we want to make some of these conscious decisions to only give the tools that we think teens are prepared for. Mm-hmm. And the way that our app is actually set up, it's really interesting. So um, we give you free crypto every single day that you take a quiz. And so it's like a two minute quiz. You can fit five questions. It comes with TikTok looking videos that are like the cheat codes answering the question. And it'll be like, you know, what is an investment? And then it pops up like a TikTok video for 20 seconds that tells you what an investment is. And then you go answer that question. And if you get it right, you get free crypto. And so that's, that's the first part of our app is really educating and paying you for educating yourself. The second part is sort of this gamified version of how should you invest. And so we reward you for a number of things. One, is, one of them is long-term holding. So if you literally don't sell parts of your investments, we will give you awards. And those awards actually end up being redeemable for crypto as well. And so you're literally building wealth over time while you are hands-on learning with real money. And we are telling you the strategies that are proven on the stock market over the last 150 years, but we're doing it with crypto. And so I think that's huge about being in this crypto environment, taking the lessons that other financial products have already taught us time and time again, like long-term holdings, periodic savings, diversification, a lot of really easy, simple stuff and pushing that into this crazy crypto world. Right. Yeah. I think, I think what you guys are doing is amazing. Cause like, as we were talking about earlier once, I think from what I've read is like uh, ever since the pandemic, the amount of uh, public traders that entered the, the stock market, like blew up. And I was one of them. And at first, I was uneducated. I thought I was doing amazing my first week. And <laughs> the next thing you know, wiped like 30% of my portfolio. So I think it's amazing how the strategies you use, I guess, kind of like you're staking the items, the cryptos they have, but they're also getting awarded for it and stuff like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, and and that, and that's actually kind of a lesson in itself, right? Like everybody's portfolio has to go red once. That's just, that's just it, right? Like, like that's part of learning. We've all been burned. I've been burned on, you know, the stock market. That is part of learning in this world. And so I think the cool thing that stack is going to enable is it's going to enable people to make mistakes early and make mistakes when they really don't matter as much because you have to make them right. Like 
you have to make a credit mistake, right? You have to like not pay for something to realize that, oh my gosh, there's repercussions of this and I'm never going to make that mistake again, you know, because then you're so much more empowered to do the right thing the second time. And so, you know, getting burned like you did on 30% yeah. of your portfolio, like that is part of it, right? It's like, you need to go through that experience to get to the next level. Um, yeah. And that's what we're trying to do. It was an expensive lesson, but I guess a good one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Well, so do you think there is an untapped market that these other companies have failed to uh, realize with high schoolers? And um, if, if so, why, why have uh, these companies really fail to tap into these markets? Yeah, I mean, our, our competitive advantage lies in being pure crypto. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's why. So, I mean, literally when uh, I was working with the guys at Copper, for instance, who who's an amazing team and product, and I love everything that they, they're doing, um, but they literally just can't go do this. And why they can't go do this is because they're a regulated bank and they're a regulated broker dealer. And how that makes this very complicated is, what nobody realizes under the hood of all of these smaller fintechs that you probably have some of these like finance apps on your phone. If you're not one of the biggest five companies, you actually don't do any of the back end, meaning you don't go find the other side of your Bitcoin trade. So if you want to buy $10 of Bitcoin, somebody else has to be willing to sell it. And then they have to hold that Bitcoin for you. They have to price how much of that Bitcoin be worth at this exact period in time. All of these things that that company actually isn't doing because they just don't have the operational capacity to do those things. Um, And so all of these smaller fintechs, like all these other under 18 banks and brokers, they are attached to fiat businesses under the hood. And those fiat businesses under the hood that do all these operations for them just are putting one toe in the water when it comes to crypto and Web3. Whereas we are diving in the deep end headfirst, right? I mean, we are already entrenched in it. And so we're doing it in a way that really nobody else can. And that's just comes from like an operational and legal and compliance encumbrance, right? Of being a fiat product. And so while I love what they're doing, and I think they've made an amazing wave in under 18 financial education, I think that the only thing that they missed on is starting where teens start and that's searching crypto. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, so to add on to that, do you think your life would have been better or different if you had something like Stack when you were a teenager and there existed a, a really new uh, idea like crypto? Oh my gosh. Um, well, I'll say in general, if the, the technology that exists today is just mm-hmm. like, it makes me so jacked up because <laughs> it is... There is so many cool tools that I wish I had when I was a teenager. But at the same time, I think it's marrying two things, right? One is, and you guys can feel this because you guys weren't teenagers that long ago. Like teenagers don't change. What you want as a teenager probably hasn't changed in the last 30 years. And that's like when I I wanted to go buy video games. Um, I wanted to like be cool with my friends and I wanted to do stuff that was fun. And that was like pretty much the basis of being a teenager, right? Mm-hmm. And so that stuff doesn't change. What changes is the technology around that, right? And so video games are now like 3D, metaverse, whatever. And they used to be like Atari, um, you know? And so like some of that stuff changes, but the actual zeitgeist itself of what you want to do as a teenager doesn't. Um, and so I think when I think about like, you know, myself versus teenagers now, 
certainly they're different. Like, I mean, was I an, inf- I wish I was an influencer that was earning a thousand bucks for a TikTok post, like for sure. You know, I was definitely, I was not on that train as a teenager, but, um, and so I think there's some amazing teenagers today just because of some of this technology, but we're basically taking the things that don't change out of a teenager and trying to answer the call there, be engaging, be fun. If you're going to educate, educate in a way that people actually want to engage with. Um, and so doing all of those things, but really tying it into the latest technology. That's awesome. Um, I have, so I was scrolling through your LinkedIn. Actually, today I saw your post before this. Um, and I saw, I read your blog about the thing, 10 things I'll tell uh, founder me on day one. And I found it very informative and interesting. There were some very good points in there. I was just wondering if uh, you would be able to share a couple, like maybe your favorite key points there. Just a quick uh, for the listeners. Yeah, I think the most important thing about being a startup founder, if you guys, you know, ever take that plunge, or even if you like want to work at a really young company, is a young company is a risk. Um, And it's a risk that usually is incentivized by some equity, you know, that you have in the business that if the company goes to the moon, you know, you can make (laughs) a lot of money. And so that's always like the sexy part, right? That kind of draws you in initially. But there's a second part about being a part of a young company, whether it's as the founder or just a team member, that I think is an incredible opportunity to look inwardly at yourself in a way that no other job does. Because when you work at Amazon or you work at Deloitte like I did, you work for these big companies, they have amazing reputations, but what they don't have is a culture of failure. And let me tell you what that really means. It means that if you fail at Amazon or you fail at Deloitte, you get a lower rating, you get paid less, you might get put in a performance plan, you might feel less about yourself. When you go to a startup, if we aren't failing every day, I start questioning if we're doing something, right? (laughs) Like, I mean, you need, you survive on a culture of failure. You obviously look at all those failures and you say, what did we learn from them? Why are we not going to make the same mistake twice? But I think that's the really one fundamental difference about working at a startup in any capacity. And I think that that can be so enriching to discover in yourself an ability to be okay with failure, right? Because we all fail um, and failing is learning. Like I used to, before I did this in a weird way, I always think of this metaphor, the best skiers or snowboarders on the mountain are the ones that fall a lot. And that's the reality, right? Like they're the ones taking chances. They're the ones that aren't trying to look too cool on the mountain. You know, it's like, that is how you succeed in the long run. Um, and I think that entrepreneurship t- squeezes that out of you <laughs> in a way that just is very natural. And that's because, you know, you're, you're surviving every day and you're just trying to figure out the right equation to whatever the problem that you're trying to solve is. Um, and that's the fun part, right? I am so much more dynamic than I ever have been in my career. I would run circles around myself. And that's just because I've failed so much in the last year. Um, and so I think that's like the number one thing that any entrepreneur, any founder or any startup employee should, should really embrace. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. Um, and like I, one of the points I found very interesting was um, why entrepreneurs should stop and really think before they uh, hire any more team members, like be just zero one by themselves. Why do you, why do you think that's a very important thing to have? Yeah, I think, um, I think a team, I, I think you get caught up in one. Something 
that becomes um can you guys still hear me i i think it's a little glitched up me? oh there you go there it is okay okay cool yeah. um sorry yeah I, I think like the the thing that you get caught up in a founder is getting measured by the external world you get measured by the external world in a few ways. One of them is like funding, you know, another one is like customers and revenue, but another one clearly is employees. It's building a team. And so when you say to yourself, I'm going to, you know, like really resist that urge and not build a team when everybody on the outside world is saying, oh, how big is your team? Who's working with you on this? You know, what, what does your team look like? And your answer every time is, hey, it's me. My team is will. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a hard answer to give to a lot of people, but it actually, I think is the right one very early on. And that's because the best founders, you'll see this in a million startup books. The best founders are generalists, but you can't actually know what it's like to be a generalist until you live that life in every way. And that means I'm the one finding our TikTok influencers. I'm the one writing our blogs. I'm the one Figma wireframing our product. I'm the one in GitHub. I'm the one making our website. I'm the one negotiating with lawyers. I'm the one negotiating every contract that we have, standing up the business legally. I mean, you literally do every job. And there is no replacement for that because there's no job that allows you to do that, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think you have to take this very, very short period of time, but I I'm already past, like I have a team of seven people now, but that early, early period where it's just you, I actually think you should extend it as long as humanly possible because it's the part that you learn the most. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, yeah, it definitely creates a lot of empathy and you see the struggles that they go with and probably connect with them better too. And that's awesome. Totally. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Our digital marker came on and I've been, you know, in TikTok land for like the last <laughs> six months. And she comes in and she's like, Hey, we should just like cut these three things that we're doing and go do this. And I'm like, yep, you're right. You know, it's just, <laughs> so you appreciate them so much because they're, they're better than you at their mm-hmm. specialization, you know, and that's why you're a generalist. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a pretty good technique to go with. Um, lastly, I was just wondering some last some last maybe like word of advice for entrepreneurs who have visions in mind like yours to like uh, disrupt the market but are afraid to take the next step something that's new innovative haven't been really done before could be scary any kind of word of advice for them yeah um i mean i think that the biggest thing about taking the plunge for entrepreneurship um and like you know, really going for it in, in what is a scary world, you get so caught up in what your concept is. You're, you're taught in, in business school, uh, you know, I think to like put a business plan together, put a pitch deck together or something. And that becomes how you measure your company early on. And I think it's actually a really bad um, first step. I think you should try to create value before you do anything else. And so let me tell you how we created value like very early on. We created value. I literally would DM teenagers on reddit like that was literally some of the early value i'd create i would see teenagers that would say on reddit hey i um i got locked out of my my coinbase account with two thousand dollars in it because i'm under 18 like that was literally a post and i would comment on i'd be like hey like terms of service of all these other coins you know they haven't been authorized to do under 18 like we are and so I like, I'm trying to explain to them, like, Hey, the terms of service say that you're, you know, over 18, you can have your parent go take control of that account. So you can still have access to your assets, you know, like trying to help them. 
and even just educate that that exists, right? And why they got flagged. Um, and then there are some other ones that like go on some of these other exchanges that aren't even authorized in the US, right? Um, and then they get like shut down all of a sudden and they lose all their assets too, right? And so it was like, just like kind of educating people on like, hey, this is kind of a scary world. And there's a lot of, you know, bad that comes with the good of crypto, you know, and this cool technology. And so, um, so I tried to create value before I put together a great business plan, before I put together a market sizing slide, you know, before I put together our five-year financials, which are probably full of crap anyway, you know? Um, and so I think like, if you can try to really create value, that's what matters. Perfect. Yeah. Creating value. That's yeah. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Um, well, that's all we have. Anything else, Mohit? Do you have anything else? No, this, this has, uh, this was a really exciting episode. I think, uh, I, I learned a lot about crypto and, uh, asset management in general, honestly. Um, yeah, this, this, uh, thank you so much for talking to us. Well, uh, this, this was, uh, really fun. Um, yeah. And Murad, go for it. Yeah. And thank you so much. Um, and also if the listeners would like to st- sign up for the waitlist, it's tristack.io, right? They exactly. Yeah. Tristack.io, you can go sign up for the waitlist. Uh, we also have a really cool um, ambassador program for college students and high school students. If you want to get like some professional experience, but you don't want a full-time internship, um, you know, you get to do some cool stuff. You can always check out our ambassador page on our website as well, but we'd love That's for so you to awesome. sign up for the app. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us again. That was awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. (laughs) Perfect.